Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. It was game six of the 2011 World Series and my beloved St. Louis Cardinals were down to the Texas Rangers, three games to two. By the time the ninth inning of game six rolled around, the Rangers led seven to five and eventually there were two outs in the ninth inning. The cards had not been playing that well. My dad, he eventually gave up hope and went into the kitchen frustrated. He started washing dishes, trying to cushion himself from the impending doom that we all knew was headed our way soon, but I remained there in the living room glued to the TV as our hometown third baseman David Freeze came to the plate. The count came to one ball and two strikes. The Rangers were just one strike away from winning the World Series. But then on the very next pitch, David Freeze swung his bat and connected. And I remember jumping off of my seat and yelling. My dad heard it from the kitchen and came running in just in time to see the right fielder misplay the ball. Two runs come around and score. And just like that, the game is tied. We're going to extra innings. But then the bottom of the 10th inning rolls around and sure enough, again, the Cardinals found themselves down two runs with two outs and two strikes, just one strike away from going home for the winner. But then again, two runs came around and scored in another clutch at bat. We're going to the 11th inning. And then in the 11th inning, who came up to the plate again? It was David Freeze and he knocked in the most glorious home run I have ever seen. Game over, good guys win. The Cardinals would go on to win game seven and their 11th World Series championship. And to this day, I'm convinced that game six of the 2011 World Series is the greatest baseball game ever played. Now, I love baseball. It's one of the things that I'm really missing right now. And so to get my baseball fix, a few weeks ago, I went back and I watched game six of the 2011 World Series again. But you know what? This time when I watched it, it felt different. I didn't get mad when the Cardinals dropped a pop fly or gave up a home run. I didn't get nervous when they got down to their last strike, not once, but twice. In fact, I got excited because I knew the end of the story. You see, when you know the end, it helps you to properly evaluate the present and it enables you to live without fear. That's part of the reason why I love Romans chapter eight, because in Romans chapter eight, Paul gives us just a glimpse of the end of our story, which enables us to live lives of hope during life here in the meantime. We're finishing out our series on Romans chapter eight today, and I hope that you will treasure these last verses. In fact, I hope that you memorize these verses at the end of Romans eight, because here Paul gives us two glorious promises to build our lives upon. And the first one is found in verses 28 through 30. Paul says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Now, some of you might be familiar with that promise from verse 28, but I actually want to start in verses 29 and 30, and then we'll work our way back to verse 28, just to make sure we're understanding that promise properly. I don't know what your life goals might be, but in verse 29, we just read God's goal for your life. 
to be conformed to the image of his son. You see, God doesn't just want to adopt you into his family. He also wants to give you the family resemblance. God's goal for your life is to make you look like Jesus. In fact, he's predestined that when you follow Jesus, he will sanctify you. That's the process of becoming like Jesus. We call it sanctification. Now, that word predestined there, we we need to pause right there and tackle that word because that can be a little hairy and confusing. There's some of our Christian brothers and sisters who believe in the doctrine of double predestination, which means that they believe that God chooses ahead of time who will follow him and who won't, who will go to heaven and who will go to hell without any choice on the part of the individual. Now, we do believe that God is sovereign, but we believe that God's sovereignty and our free will responsibility work together in the salvation process. We don't believe that double predestination is what Paul is talking about here or what the Bible teaches. We do believe though that what Paul's talking about here is that God predestines the plan, but not the man. In other words, he predestines what will happen to you if you decide to follow Jesus, but he does not predestine who will decide to follow Jesus and who won't. For example, let's say that if I said that anybody who comes to my house later today will get free donuts. Well, I'm not predetermining who will come to my house and who won't, but I am predetermining what will happen to those who choose to come to my house. So God has predestined that when you follow Jesus, he will begin the process of sanctification. He will conform you to the image of his son. In verse 30, Paul says also that you have been called. Now, if if you've attended services or if you've been watching us for a few weeks, you have indeed been called. You have heard the gospel message, the good news that Jesus died for you and rose again. And I hope that you have decided to put your faith in him and to be made new by being baptized and being filled with his Holy Spirit. If you've not made that decision, I'd encourage you to. You can always go to mypcc.info, tap on the baptism tab. We'd love to have a conversation with you. But if you have been called and you have responded in faith, then you have also been justified. That means that you've been declared innocent in the sight of God. And if you've been justified, you will also be glorified, which means that when Jesus comes back, you will be resurrected. The process of sanctification will be complete and you will be like Jesus. So notice there's a past, a present, and a future element to our salvation. I love the way that Jen Wilkin puts it. Jen Wilkin says this, be assured of your justification It was. One day you were freed fully from the penalty of sin. That's the past. Here's the present. She says, be patient with your sanctification. It is. Each day you are being freed increasingly from the power of sin. And now she points us to the future. She says, be eager for your glorification. It is to come. One day you will be freed finally from the presence of sin. Now, I love that. But did you notice that here in Romans chapter eight, Paul talks about all of these past, present, and future in the past tense, like it's already happened, called, justified, glorified, like it's already done. And what he's trying to communicate is that from God's perspective, it is as good as done. You can count on this, that just as sure as he has justified you, he will also glorify you. So with that in mind, now let's come back to verse 28 and take another look at this promise where Paul says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. 
And we know now that, that this good that God is working for is to make us like Jesus, that God's gonna work everything in our lives to help make us in the image of his son. It's like this. Back in the 1800s, the most famous wildlife painter in Britain was a man named Sir Edwin Landseer. His works of art were well-known and beloved all around the world, both back then and still today. And one day, Sir Edwin Landseer was just sitting at a local inn at a quarter table, and nobody else in the restaurant recognized him or knew who he was, when all of a sudden he saw one of the waitresses at the restaurant collide with one of the patrons, and a pot of tea went flying. It splashed all over the wall, leaving this freshly whitewashed wall with a big, nasty brown splotch all over it. The innkeeper came out to inspect the damage, and he said, ah, it's no good. That, that stain's never going to come out. We're going to have to repaint the whole wall. But then the stranger at the corner table stood up and came over and said, perhaps not. Let me work with the stain. And if it meets your approval, maybe you won't have to repaint at all. And he got out a box that had in it some pencils and some paint brushes and some pigment. And he began to sketch there around the edge of the stain, fill in little bits here and there with some color and some shading. And eventually out of the splash of tea, a picture began to emerge. Out of the chaos came the image of a majestic stag with a great set of antlers. It was a beautiful picture. And when he got done, he simply signed his name below the picture, packed up his supplies, paid for his meal, and left. Well, when the innkeeper came over to inspect the work on the wall, he was shocked to see the signature that said E.H. Landseer. You see, that wall was now worth more than it ever had been before. And that's what God does with our lives. He takes all of these circumstances, both good and bad, and he works it together to make us like Jesus. He takes our mess and makes it our message. He takes our test and turns it into our testimony. But before we talk too much about what this promise is, I want to talk, first of all, about a few things that this promise is not. First of all, this promise is not bad things won't happen. Because remember, Paul's in jail as he's writing this letter to the Romans. His knees are sore from walking thousands of miles in his ministry. His skin is scarred from the beatings and whippings he's taken for proclaiming the good news of Jesus. His wrists and ankles are chafed from the chains. So Paul's definitely not promising here that when you follow God, you're gonna get an easy life with perfect health and a nice paying job that you enjoy and a padded retirement account and a nice big house. God's not promising those things. So don't be surprised when suffering happens, when hard times and trouble come. Because God doesn't promise to save us from suffering. He promises to save us through suffering. The promise is that no matter what happens in your life, good or bad, God can take all of it and use it to make you as good, as true, as noble, as loyal, as kind, as gentle, as joyful as Jesus is. Because remember, that is his ultimate good for us, to make us like his son. So this promise is not bad things won't happen. It's also not that everything will be okay. And by that, I mean, this is not some kind of blind optimism or reliance on fate or karma. Paul's not just saying, well, all things tend to work together for good in the end. No, he's saying God works all things together for good for those who love him. You see, the universe is not run by a coin flip. It's run by a person. And that person is your father who loves you. This is an affirmation of providence. 
of God's sovereignty, that the king of heaven sees all of time and he is pulling this thread throughout all of history and he's gradually weaving it together to accomplish his ultimate good purpose. And thirdly, this promise is not everything happens for a reason. Now we believe that God is sovereign, but God's sovereignty does not mean that everything that happens is caused by God. It was not God's will that you were abused or injured. Things happen for a lot of reasons. Creation is fallen. People are sinful. Satan is out to steal and kill and destroy. God does not cause all things. So please never again let these words come out of your mouth that everything happens for a reason. I understand that people say that with good intentions, but that lie is destructive. We do not believe that everything happens for a reason. But we do believe that anything can be redeemed. And so this is promise number one that you can build your life upon, that you can bank on in hard times. Nothing can happen that God cannot redeem. God does not cause all things, but God does cause all things to work together for the good of those who love him. It's kind of like this. Uh, ever since we've been on quarantine, my wife, Rebecca, and I have been doing a, a weekly stay-at-home date night where we uh, bake a dessert together. And by that, I mean that she bakes the dessert and I enjoy watching her bake the dessert and then eating the dessert because I can't bake to save my life. Uh, you should ask Steve about the time I tried to make him a pie. Anyway, uh, let, let's say Rebecca's making some cookies. And, and when she does, she's got all these ingredients, right? She's got salt and eggs and butter and flour and brown sugar and sugar and vanilla and baking soda, all these ingredients. Now, I love cookies, but I don't love the individual ingredients of cookies. You're not going to catch me sneaking out for a midnight snack of three teaspoons of salt. And that's kind of like our life. We have all these individual ingredients, job loss and divorce, cancer, a wayward child. And, and, and these ingredients, they, they're not good. And they're certainly not good on their own. But remember that the promise is that there is no character or circumstance or tragedy that can enter your story that God cannot edit for his own good purposes. And so God, he takes all of these ingredients that might be a little distasteful to us. And according to his perfect recipe, he mixes them together. And then with the right amount of time and the right amount of heat, he uses them to make something really good. Namely, to make us more like Jesus. So practically speaking, <laughs> that means that if you don't like me right now, that's okay. I'm not a finished product yet. I'm still in the oven and God's still in the kitchen and he's still working on me and I'm not there yet. But God is working all things together in my life to make me more like Jesus. And one of these days, he's going to pull me out of the oven. And he's going to say, well done. Good stuff. And he can do that with you too. Nothing can happen 
that God cannot redeem. That's a good cookie. This is the first promise you can build your life on. The second promise we find here all the way at the end of the chapter, but we got to work our way there bit by bit, verse by verse, because Paul asks a series here of really important questions. Beginning in verse 31, Paul says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now pause right there, because your life will be defined by whether or not you believe that God is for you. So let's take that word by word. God is for you. Your parents may neglect you. Your coworkers may ridicule you. Your children may not always like you. Your boss may look down on you. Your siblings may pick on you. But the maker of heaven and earth is for you. God is for you. Not was, not might be, not could be, not should be, not used to be. God is right now in this very moment as you are hearing my words, God is for you. God is for you. It means when you're on the court, he's the one in the stands with pain on his chest. When you're running down the track, he's the one cheering you on, handing out a cup of water. And when you don't have the strength to run anymore, he's the one who picks you up and carries you across the finish line. God is for you. God is for you. If God has a heart tattoo on his shoulder, he's got your name inside it. If God has a favorite tree, it's your initials that he's carved into the bark right next to his own. If God has an SUV, you're the honor student on his bumper sticker. If God has a calendar, he's got your birthday circled. God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? Well, many might try to be against you, but no one who's stronger than the one who's for you. And he has gone to the greatest lengths to demonstrate his love. And how do I know that? Look at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? What Paul's saying here is, he's saying, God's already done the hard part. Can't we trust him now to do the easy part? We know that God is for us because he gave us Jesus. And if God gave us Jesus while we were still sinners in rebellion against him, well, now that we're his children, can't we trust him to take care of us? It's like if somebody loans you their Ferrari, can't you trust that they're gonna be able to fill the tank for you? If somebody buys you a house, can't they also stock your fridge? God's already done the hardest part by sending us Jesus. Taking care of you? Well, that's the easy part. And so Paul goes on to say, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Well, fact of the matter is, some may bring charges against you. And maybe rightly so. It's like the story of the little boy who was wandering through the woods with his slingshot and he shot about like I did. He never hit his target, not even once the whole time he was out there. And so he finally wanders his way back to his grandma's backyard and he sees his grandma's cat over there. So kind of impulsively, he lifts up his slingshot and slings a rock over there. And to his absolute horror, now of all times, the rock flies straight and true, plunks the cat and the feline falls over dead. Well, the little boy panics. He goes and he hides the carcass behind the wood pile only to look up and see that his sister has seen the whole thing. Well, after lunch, grandma says, Sally, 
how about you come help me with the dishes? And Sally says, actually, Johnny told me that he wants to work in the kitchen today. He can do it. She leans over and whispers to him, remember the cat. Well, what could he do? And it went on like that day after day, week after week, dishes after dishes after dishes, constantly reminded of what he had done. And that's what Satan loves to do to you. He loves to accuse us. Imagine yourself surrounded by every lie you've ever told, every person you've ever hurt, every secret you've ever kept, every angry word you've ever spoken. Imagine a crowd of people around you, taunting you, reminding you of the shortcomings of your past, of of your sins, of your failures, of your regrets, bringing them in front of you, confronting you with everything in your life you've ever done wrong. Now, the self-help section on Amazon will tell you not to feel so bad about yourself. Don't, Don't feel so guilty. Tell yourself how great and wonderful you are. But the problem is that doesn't work because we know the truth that we're not great. In fact, we're not even good. And the taunts of a thousand failures remind us of just how far short of good that we have fallen. We're not just not good. We are guilty. And yet, here comes the good news. Verses 33 and 34. Paul says, it is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? Well, one day the burden was just getting too great for little Johnny to bear. He was so tired of washing dishes. He was so weighed down by being constantly reminded of his guilt that finally he just blurted out, Grandma, I killed your cat. And she said, oh, Johnny, I know. I was watching out the window. I saw the whole thing. I've already forgiven you. I wondered how long you'd let Sally make you her slave until you just told me. You see, he'd already been pardoned, but he thought that he was still guilty because he was listening to the words of his accuser. Please hear me, church. If you are in Jesus Christ, then you are not condemned of your sin. And why are we not condemned? Paul says, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. We were standing on trial before the judge of the universe rightly condemned for rebelling against him. And the judge rises and announces that the wages of sin is death. And the gavel comes up. But just then, then a man stands up beside us, a man with scars on his hands. And he says, your honor, in this case, the death has already occurred. My death. This one's with me. They're they're covered. And the gavel comes down and when it does, we are pronounced innocent because of our faith in Jesus Christ who died on our behalf. And Paul now tells us that he did not just die on our behalf, he now lives on our behalf. That he is in heaven right now as our advocate before God the Father. And so we've officially come full circle. We're right back to where we started in Romans chapter eight, verse one, when Paul said, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if that's true, if there really is no condemnation for your sin, then what could possibly tear you away from his love? Paul gives us a list. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Can death harm you? Can disease rob you of your vitality? Can fear steal your joy? Can your shortcomings diminish your value? Can your anxiety rob you of your purpose? Paul says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If you have a preschooler, you might recognize this has been the memory verse that our kids have been going through in the curriculum for the past month. Maybe your kids memorized it. Here's a video of my son Judah saying this verse. Nothing can ever separate from God of A49. Romans 8. A49. And you know, I think that'd be a pretty good verse for you to memorize too. Because this is the truth that you can build your life upon that will never shake no matter what you're going through. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing can separate us from God's love. We began Romans chapter eight, recognizing that there is no condemnation through Jesus and now we end it, realizing that there is no separation through Jesus. If you go to the British Museum in London, you'll see there a map of North America from the year 1525. And now in the year 1525, most of North America was still unexplored. And yet this map includes a lot of these unexplored areas on it. And a lot of people were superstitious back then. And they gave evidence of those fears on this map. You'll see written by the map maker over these unexplored areas, things like here be giants, here be dragons, here be fiery scorpions. Well, eventually that map fell into the hands of a man named Sir John Franklin who was a British explorer and a follower of Jesus. And when Sir John Franklin saw those inscriptions over those unexplored areas, he crossed them out one by one by one. And across the entire map, he wrote, here be God. Listen, church, there is no sin so grievous, no debt so great, no abuse so heinous, no virus so contagious, no pandemic so deadly, no words so toxic, no regret so crippling, no guilt so overwhelming, no obstacle so insurmountable, no death so final, no doom so certain, no power so evil, no circumstance so dark that can hinder God's love from reaching you in it and seeing you through it. Because Jesus died and is alive again, nothing can happen that God cannot redeem and nothing can separate us from God's love. So wherever you are today and whatever you are facing, take heart. Here be God. Let's pray. Lord, we are in awe of who you are. And we are so thankful that by simply placing our trust in you, we get to live every day alive in your grace that through Jesus, there is no condemnation for our sin and no separation from your love. 
And we rest in the knowledge that you are working all things together for our good to make us like your son. We praise you now for your victory over the grave and for your mercy to us shown in Christ's death on our behalf. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.